This episode is supported by Seedlip, the world's first distilled non-alcoholic spirit. Crafted without alcohol, sugar, or calories, Seedlip Spirit solves the dilemma of what to drink when you're not drinking, whether it's for the night, the month, or forever. Because as a non-drinker, it never feels good when your only options are water, soda, or sugary mocktails. So now you can skip the booze without feeling left out when it comes to your social life. So whether you prefer punchy citrus flavors, aromatic spices, or savory herbs, Seedlip offers a drink for every type of drinker. It's crafted using a bespoke process, including traditional copper distillation of botanicals. And each of Seedlip's three variants, which are Spice 94, Garden 108, and Grow 42, are alcohol-free and have their own unique flavors, which pair so perfectly with just a splash of tonic. But they can also be used to make more complex cocktails, and you'll find those in the Seedlip cocktail book or on their Instagram account at Seedlip underscore N-A. So head on over to seedlipdrinks.com or .ca and use the promo code ThisFamilyTree10 for 10% off your favorite non-alcoholic spirit. It's available in Canada and in the U.S. and now at LCBO stores across Ontario. Again, that is seedlipdrinks.com and ThisFamilyTree10. Hello, everyone. I'm Alex and I'm here with my husband, Shane. We are so glad that you could join us for happy hour for This Family Tree podcast, episode 137. Alex, you sound so different right now. What's up? Oh, is it because it's my new mic? Or is it because I'm less coffee than last week? Well, we got a new microphone from uh, maybe a listener. I don't know. Her name's Rebecca. I know she listens to our my other podcast, and she sent us this really fancy mic. Normally, when people send you something, it's crap. But this one's like hundreds and hundreds of dollars. It's really good. We have no idea how to use it. I don't even know if you're speaking into the right end of it. <laughs> But it always it's fun to use something new. Well, it's a multifaceted microphone. I hope I'm sounding super smooth, but I have no idea. Regardless, we've got a great episode tonight. I speak to Annalise Lawton. So she just wrote a book called Welcome to the Jungle. It's out soon. Her and I actually met. We were speaking on a panel for maternal mental health on behalf of St. Joseph's Health Organization in Hamilton. We met during that, and she was such a sweet person, had a wonderful story, really great advocate for mental health. And then her and I totally hit it off in this conversation. It was so fun. We talk about her book and we talk about a subject she hits a ton in her book, which is finding yourself as a woman. And as I started thinking about it, I was like, oh, I didn't lose myself in motherhood. I did lose myself, as Annalise suggested, way earlier than that. And through motherhood, I kind of like found myself again and found who I wanted to be and what I wanted to do again. So we have a really great conversation about that. You guys are going to love it. And Shane, cheers. Cheers to being found. (laughs) We got a Seedlip Garden 108 and a Fever Tree Cucumber Tonic because it's it's the best combo of anything that I can think of. It's tasty. It's very good. I've been off. I don't want to say real alcohol. I guess I will. Why why, why don't I want to say that? <laughs> I haven't been drinking alcohol for, what, how many, a couple of weeks? A month and a half, maybe, since since we came back from uh, our trip. And even before our trip, you weren't drinking alcohol. Were you? Well, maybe, I don't know. But I'm saying once you start drinking alcohol, it's, you, <laughs> I'm just talking from the last time I drank it. Did you see the new study that came out about men and alcohol? No. Okay, so it said the only safe amount for men under the age of 39 is a shot glass full of beer per day. Anything more than that. It's for anyone, though. It's not just for men. No, women can actually have more. Women can have, like, slightly more. What defines safe? 
I don't know. They, they factor in like drunk driving accidents and everything. So it gets, it's really convoluted study. But they say after 40 years old, there are health benefits, slight health benefits for men and women to have a like a drink a day. But under that, it's just like massively detrimental. Wow, that's interesting. Seems like when I, I remember being, I don't know, my 20s, mm -hmm. it was studies would always be saying, have an egg a day or eat scrambled yeah. eggs every day. Then the next week it would say, eggs kill. And, you know, every week there's a new thing. And I don't think that news, that type of news cycle has stopped from my early 20s till now. No. Not, anything you do could kill you and could be the best things. Aspartame causes cancer. That's a myth. Uh, Is it the, a myth? Apparently so, yes. The amount of aspartame you'd need to actually cause cancer would be something like a hundred Diet Cokes a day or something. It's I love Diet Coke. It's even more than that. Or, or the natural deodorant's good. The other kind causes cancer. And then you, mm -hmm. I thought that was true, but I don't know what's true anymore about anything. So I think do the wildest thing, the most unsafe thing <laughs> for a month and just wait because it could <laughs> save your life and someone else's according to the news. I like this, but okay, the one thing, you know, because again, this news cycle, I remember this from like my early 20s sitting there in university and being like, ah, a piece of dark chocolate and a glass of red wine extends your life. But I also remember it might be from Sex in the City, it might be from a news article, I don't know, having 200 orgasms a year extends your life by like five years or a year. Well, Does that seem to make sense? I don't know. Nothing makes sense. I read pogo sticking every day <laughs> blindfolded was good for your health. Well, Shane, yeah. with all this and with kind of the intro uh, talking about Annalise Lawton and what I discussed with her in the episode, it made me want to ask you as a man about self-discovery. Because like Annie and I, like we really, we really got to, what do you say when you connect with somebody? We really connected yeah, that's over, <laughs> over a lot of these things because we had very similar journeys where it's like, we really felt good about ourselves, you know, whatever, when you're very young, obviously, because you have less pressure from society, from friend groups. And then like going into high school and university, you start feeling more pressure to fit in, to achieve something, to do whatever. And then while your 20s is lots of fun, you're still feeling that and you kind of lose yourself along the way. And I think a lot of women feel like as mothers, they lose themselves in motherhood. But Annie is arguing, and I, I totally agree with her, that you lose yourself way earlier than that. And I'm curious for the male side of things and like your self-discovery journey, if that's over, if it even happened. Well, I don't even know. I don't know what it means. I'm always embarrassed of myself. <laughs> So that's what it means. Well, it's like, you know, going into high school and dating certain people and then maybe feeling like you need to fit into a certain group or be a certain way for the person that you're with. And then, you know, that kind of leads on into your 20s with relationships. But then you can think of education and career and trying to achieve different things for like different people, like parents, competing with friends, whatever it is. Never felt like my parents cared what I did. So I don't know. So... But I don't know. I, I don't know if I felt accepted by them either. Mm -hmm. But what about like with like peers and like relationships and things? Did you feel that you ever weren't true to yourself because you were trying to be something that the other person wanted? Mm, I don't know. Maybe I'm the type that 
when I find out what people want, I'm so scared to be rejected that I go even <laughs> further in the other direction and not give them what they want on purpose. It was kind of my school philosophy too, rather than submit something and get a failing grade, I wouldn't submit it and definitely get the worst failing grade you can get, which is zero. And I got plenty of zero. So I would do that socially too. So instead of trying to go for a girlfriend, I would never even attempt it. So then these rumors, because what happened is all of a sudden, uh, you know, some, some girls in the school would like me and I'd get all these crushes and all that. And then uh, there'd be rumors that I was just gay. So that just because you weren't reciprocating anything. Yes, but luckily when I hit puberty, girls stopped liking me in that <laughs> way. <laughs> so it helped. It helped me. Uh, people thinking things about me that weren't true because that was un- un- uncomfortable for me. Mm-hmm. No, of course. And then, but then at what point did you? Because so for you that like it being in puberty, like in those, I'd say like what grade nine through eleven. You are probably feeling maybe like eleven you have, through twelve. You hit puberty in grade eleven. Maybe late grade ten. Yeah. Is that when boys hit puberty? No, I'm not saying that's when it happens, but I'm saying that's how it happened for me. Mm-hmm. So, did you feel like that gave you like more freedom then, like to be yourself because people weren't interested in you, or did you feel like it made you want to try harder in a sense? No, I, I don't know. I just never wanted to try to fit in. I I never wanted to try. I love that. See, and okay, do you think that most men are like that? Do you think this like is a conversation that would impact women more? Like judging by guys you know? I don't know. I don't know anything else. <laughs> You're talking to the wrong person here. I just I want trying, to chat about our weekend. Trying to get into weekend. it. Trying to get into it. <laughs> oh, sorry. You're, you're lost. You were lost. You don't seem like a person who's been that lost. What does lost look like? For not you? lost, but like not um, doing exactly what I want. And like I would, like don't get me wrong. There's I, I I would, but then you know I get nervous about it. And I'd be ashamed or embarrassed or I don't know. Like I get it into it with Annie in the interview, so I don't want to double okay double up on some things. But All I was right. just curious if it extended that way for men as well. Are you found right now? I feel found. We, okay, you're found. I feel pretty found. What'd you find? (laughs) Or is that with Annie? Because I don't want to be repeating this. No, I feel good. I feel good. I feel like I'm in a really good place in my life and I'm doing what I want to do and I'm with people I want to be around. It's good. But uh, you know what also felt good? What? (laughs) Okay. A little bit yes, a little bit no. Getting recognized in the mall for our TikTok videos. Uh, I walked by a table. And it was a table of like seven people. And they were like, hey, you're on TikTok. And I said, yeah. And then they all went crazy. And I just kept walking, giving them a little peace sign. So that felt good. But then what felt bad is that it was a table of like 12-year-old boys, not our demographic, not the people that are going to appreciate what we're talking about. They just recognized me from TikTok and were pumped. So I was like kind of sad after that. Ain't no moms being like, I recognize you from TikTok. Any recognition is good recognition, though. It's pretty cool to be recognized at all. So, you know, appreciate it. Appreciate what you got. Yeah, I will. I will hold on to that. But uh, Shane, we had an interesting weekend. We, I want, I want everybody to learn from our mistake. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> it's just you. <laughs> You're hilarious. Why? I don't know. Just wait. Yeah, I'll hold on to that. <laughs> I don't know what else to say. <laughs> the falsest statement ever. Oh, continue I don't know what though. to say. We had a bad weekend. That's what I'm saying now. And uh, tell the listeners what we did and what not ever to do in their own lives. Well, I suggested going on a hike in the morning. And by the way, every weekend I make a suggestion on what to do. And every weekend, Alex didn't know she's been rejecting my suggestions for like, seems like over a year. And I do whatever Alex wants. So I suggested a hike. And then she wanted to go on an extreme version of a hike. So she thought we'd go to the Toronto Zoo, which I had heard murmurings like, don't go to the zoo in the summer. All the animals are asleep. The lineups are long. It's like a theme park with no rides and no animals and nothing to do. And the walking isn't even that good. And sure enough, it was all of those things and expensive. It was so expensive. So my free hike turned into a trip to the zoo when Alex and I were recovering from a sickness. Mm -hmm. I just, I had the terrible chills the day before. It was the first day I shot my sketch show, shot all day. I had to shoot a pool scene and then I got this terrible chill. I woke up, wanted to go on a hike, kind of reacclimate myself with the world but we went to the zoo and it was a terrible day and it tested everything that you could ever have tested <laughs> in a marriage. But here we are today. And you missed that traffic was terrible. The zoo is only an hour and six minutes away. It took two hours both ways because of traffic. Well, here's what really hurt. Like every weekend I suggest something and I'll, I'll exaggerate the most minimal amount. I'll say, come on, let's go to um, this place for donuts. It's only 38 minutes away. And then you'll go, uh, I think it's 47 minutes away. <laughs> and then I'll go, really? And I'll go to check and you're right. <laughs> and then I'll just I'll be like, you're right. Let's not go. But the zoo, yeah, let's go there. It's an hour and 40 minutes each way. You know what? I've, I'm on this thing where it's like I've been seeing so many stupid posts lately where it's like you only have 18 summers with your kids. Make the most of them. And it scared the shit out of me. And I'm starting to feel like this immense pressure. I'm like, oh, my God, I only have 18 summers. And I only have, what, 15 before they don't even want to hang out with me in the summer. So I had this moment of wanting to do all these like grand things. But it's not worth it half the time. The, the happy moments and the nice memories can come from doing the simplest things like a hike. Well, how many summers do you want to be married also? <laughs> exactly. Because that matters. And yeah. you're all caught up in consumerism and big activities. And you can't go to Disneyland every weekend. Mm -hmm. And it's not going to make more memories for your kid. It's not going to be more memorable. It's going to just seem like your parents are throwing monies at things. Going on a hike is one of my, my parents are divorced. So my memories with hanging with them is very limited. However, going on hikes and packing a lunch and sitting on a rock and eating it is a big memory for me. Mm -hmm, same. But going and also a memory too, par partially why they probably got divorced is going on annoying events, packing all this stuff, rushing to leave the house. Parents bickering with each other. Yeah, you do this, put sunscreen on your kid. Everything's rushed. To get into a car, to get into a long lineup of traffic, to get into a long line, to go see an animal that the kid doesn't even <laughs> give that much of a shit about. We're at the zoo, supposedly looking at polar bears and apes. They're all asleep. 
And Lucy goes, where's Rosie? I want to see Rosie. Who's Rosie you're asking at home? <laughs> Rosie's this bird right around the corner from our house that she just wants to see. It's a parrot. It's a parrot that says hello. Yes. And it's like so close to us. And Lucy was like really complaining about wanting just to go and talk to Rosie. Yeah. So we have to. Everyone's hot. Then we got to get food because uh, and drinks because everyone's, you know, hungry and thirsty. The lineup, huge. I'll wait in that line. You go sit with the kids. Get to the front of the line. Cash only. Oh, the longer line is the one for debit and credit. Eat a full pizza that I don't want to eat. <laughs> you know, half cheese for the kids. The kids don't eat enough, of course. Then I'm eating more pizza than I want to. I'm feeling lethargic. Just walking around, going to a splash pad. Of course, anytime you go to a zoo... What you're really going to is the splash pad within the zoo. Why do they all have amazing splash pads? Because they know once you get in there, you realize the zoo sucks. So they're like, better have a good splash pad to make up for how shit our zoo is. And that's the reason. Because without that splash pad, you just leave and you never go back. They, they trick you into making memories. The idea is, the carrot is, you're going to see some cool animals. Mm -hmm. And then the hope is you forget that you didn't. You have a good time at the splash pad and you go home and then you repeat the next year. See, I don't ever remember as a kid going to the splash pads or the waiting pools or whatever. But I think I never went to the zoo in on a Saturday. That's the other thing we did wrong. I did wrong was go on a freaking Saturday when everybody is going. Like go on a Tuesday, Alex, when it's more chilled out. You know what I mean? So... I think that I must have never gone on a Saturday or Sunday in the at the height of the summer. You probably went to African Lion Safari. I did, but yeah. Toronto Zoo, I, I went to a lot too, but I don't think ever at this time. Yeah, it's terrible. It is terrible. So Shane and I got into, you know, some discussions. And coming off of that, it had me thinking about the evolution of like discussions and productively arguing with your partner over the course of time and like kind of how you learn to do that. And we've spoken like Shane on this podcast to so many relationship experts and things like that who have had mm -hmm. so many like amazing things to say and suggestions. And I was curious if you think our quote unquote arguing has evolved and what you think that maybe you have personally gotten better at. Because I think for me, I've gotten, I'm not good still, but I've gotten better at like actually saying what's on my mind. Sometimes it like, it takes me a bit, but I am trying really hard to actually say things now. Whereas before mm. I just couldn't say a single word. I don't know if I've gotten better. I think I was, I'm a natural, logical person. And if I'm in an argument, it's usually because I feel like I'm in the right and I know all the answers. So... I don't know. I genuinely feel like I'm right. I'm not saying I always am, but <laughs> when we are having a civil discussion, I, I'm not trying to be good or bad. I'm just trying to get my point across. And I think I'm good at that because the answers are just coming to me. Mm -hmm. It's the problem is, is, uh, once the things are brought up changing because the, you tend to have the same discussions for your whole relationship over and over and over and over again. And there needs to be progress, right? I agree. And it's funny that, you know, you say you when you get into an argument, you think that 
you're right and you're getting into it. But that's the point of it. It's like the other person thinks they're right too, right? And that's yeah. why they're arguing. Well, <laughs> when we get to argument, one of the funniest things you say, and you do this often, you say, every time we're arguing, you think you're right. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's no, the nature of it. I think what I want to say is that you try less hard than I do to put yourself in my shoes and see things from my perspective. Do you know what I mean? You honestly believe that? I don't know. I think that's what I was meaning by that, by saying that. No, you just, oh, you, <laughs> you get so flustered when you're arguing. I the, do. the biggest thing, you get quiet and don't know how to speak. Well, I'm, I'm working on that and I think I've gotten a lot better than like three years ago. I disagree. Really? Yes. Shane, I've like actually been able to say things. Three years ago, I just sit there and stare at the wall. Now I can actually say things. Words might be coming out, but you ain't saying nothing. <laughs> Well, do you have any tips for effective arguing where it's like you don't escalate the situation? And this is like, you know, gather information from either our arguments or any time we've had an expert on the podcast. It's tough. Yeah, I've tried talking calm and that can come across as condescending. Mm -hmm. So I would um, typically I'd say talk calm. Like anytime you raise your voice, that's cause for alarm. It's going to make somebody feel uncomfortable. But talking calm can make people think you're being real snide or smart alecky. Well, I or, think that has to do more with tone than like sure. volume. I've tried tone every which way around the block just to make <laughs> up expressions right now, and it hasn't worked. Oh, you gotta find you gotta find that perfect tone. I'll, babe. I'll keep searching my whole life. Um, one thing I would say, and again, I've discussed this with like lots of experts in the past, but keeping the argument on topic. Because it's oh so God. easy and like how easy is it, right? Somebody brings something up and then you think in your mind and say, how can you say that when you did this two years ago or when you did this last week? And you just pointing out the hypocrisies because we're all hypocritical, but it it doesn't have to do with the art, the thing that you're actually arguing about there. And then your argument turns into this massive thing that is so hard to cool down from, so hard to find a solution to. Because suddenly there's a hundred different incidents in this one thing when really it was only about like the cereal that got left on the table. Did I write the article you're looking off of? I feel like this is all stuff I've suggested. I didn't write an article. I Oh, the, the, you made this up? Yeah, these are, the, these are I, oh. I put together the things that I think are most important. Not to say that I do this these things. This is stuff I've told she, you, Alex. I know, and this is stuff okay. we've heard from experts. Okay. And I'm saying, I'm not necessarily good at these things, but these are the things that I think are most important to yes, bring into an argument. I agree. Don't interrupt. You got to let the person have. <laughs> <laughs> I was interjecting for the record. But you got to be able to let somebody finish a thought. And then again, it can be so hard because you want to correct them. Like if Shane's, and this happened on Saturday, he was saying like, well, you did this. And then I would, I started off interrupting and saying, no, that's not why I did this or not. That's not how I did this. Because to me, it was like really important to make that distinction. But he just needs to get something off his chest, right? So to wait and to allow somebody to finish their thought and get through and, and present how they were made to feel is so important. All, for instance, so if I was to say, well, you sneezed and then told me I didn't take the trash out when I did and you jumped to the wrong subject, you'd be like, I didn't sneeze, I coughed. 
And I'm, I'm like, that's not the point of the story, Alex. That's a weird digression to just, you know, go off on this tangent when the, when I'm clearly talking about everything else. Well, that's your specialty. There could be an important distinction there. You know what I mean? I've yeah. <coughs> Yes. If there is, I understand it. I'm just saying a lot of the times you just think, oh, I've got a little nitpick here that has nothing to do with anything, but there was a minor problem with what he said. Says the queen of nitpickers. I'm joking. I'm trying to start an argument within the non-argument. Okay. Shane, what do you think is your worst arguing habit that you are improving? I don't know if I am improving. Well, that you should try to improve. (sighs) I don't know. It's hard. It's it's every person's different, and you. That's why I always say treat people the way. <laughs> Alex just put a glass down, which I liked. Uh, I'm not nitpicking. Um, treat people the way they want to be treated, not the way you want to be treated. That's the number one advice I would say. And getting to know your partner and their things that they like and ways they like to be talked to. Mm. No, I think that's really good advice. Um, okay. So I had somebody messaging me on Instagram, like a listener. I don't know if they're a listener or a follower or whatever, but they were asking about crystals and my beliefs and like healing crystals and things like that. Cause they were like, you know, I, I was having migraines recently. We've been sick for a while. We think we might have long COVID. And she was like, oh, well maybe you could treat that with these kinds of crystals. And she's going on on a tangent. And while I really appreciated her concern and how long she was taking to help me, I just, I can't bring myself to believe in the healing properties of crystals. Yeah. Beyond like a psychosomatic thing, you know, placebo thing. Well, it, uh, the placebo is not gonna work unless you believe in it. Well, exactly. That's why crystals work. So. I want to ask you, because a lot of people, like there's a store right by our house and it sells crystals, lineups. There will be lineups. It's like a 10 foot by five foot store. It's tiny. I always wondered what that was. Yeah, it's crystals. People are lining up. There's like an obsession where we live with healing crystals right now. And I was just curious if there's anything weird that you believe in. Some people, and you know, it's not weird to you, but maybe it's weird to other people. I believe in aliens. That's not weird. I don't even think it's a belief thing. I just think it's fact. There's aliens. There's yeah, more be. and more. Be, that becomes less and less weird just because if you're, um, you know, if you believe in odds, the odds are there's aliens out there. It's just the, what we picture is probably much different than what it is. But then again, the universe and everything's so infinite that the odds are anything we imagine could exist and probably does well, just because those- it goes on for infinity those nasa pictures that just came out i've been thinking about aliens non-stop it made me feel so small and i was like there's definitely aliens like so many of these planets and galaxies are gonna have aliens yeah that's not strange don't think that's a strange thought what is strange thought or belief that i have um i think it's hard to imagine me dying so i i would think sometimes i have the idea that i'm going to either live forever or be part of a generation that die, like dies and then Earth is done forever. Do you oh, feel that way? that's freaky as shit. I think about that all the time. Oh, my God. Like, Europe is setting itself on fire right now with the heat problems. The West Coast is doing the same thing. The world is getting so freaking hot. There's wars. There's going to be water wars soon, probably. I don't water know. Water wars? Like water super wars. soakers? or 
That would be what's, the fun version. What's water wars? I don't know. People fighting over water because it's a diminishing oh. resource. It sounds, yeah, more fun when you say water wars. <laughs> the least fun yeah, thing I can think being of. thirsty, yeah. But like that good. kind of thing makes me nervous. And if I start thinking about that kind of stuff, and like I'm no conspiracy theorist, but if I start thinking about all that stuff, I'm like, oh my gosh, like in 50 years, like Lucy and Betty are going to be walking out with an AK-47 to defend their family's water or something. I don't know. It scares the hell out of me. Hmm. If it gets to that, though, is there really any point in living? Yeah, you find an oasis. We go as a family. We find an oasis and we live out our days and it's just happy. And we live a simple life. There's no internet, no electricity. There's no jobs. We just live off the land and play games all day. Hmm. What kind of games? Like Cornhole. Cornhole. Okay, so it's not like Xbox. There's no electricity there. No, no, no. We have cornhole in the basement. We bring that with us. But we need the AK-47s to get to the oasis somehow. Yes. Hmm. Yes. Okay. Yeah, maybe I give up too early because I just think, what's the point in living like Well, this? then who's going to cuddle me at night, Shane? Well, I I'd, like to, find to, I'd like to new? think there's a pact of some sort where if things get to apocalyptic levels, we all just figure out a way to go to Xenon together. Well, what if your final straw is like sooner than mine would be? How do we that that's tough. Like you're you're somebody to say, all right, I've had enough of this. I think quicker than me. The second we need to grab an AK forty seven, I would say that's the final straw. <laughs> so yeah, not me, not me. I'm I'm okay with that. Yeah, who knows? When you're when push comes to shove, it's easy to say and be all tough on the mic now. But when that happens, I think our desire to live is just so high we don't even know mm-hmm. why. Yeah. Well, it's for the cornhole, babe. It's for the cornhole. And with that, I think we should get to the interview. Yes. Let's hope the guest doesn't listen to the opening. <laughs> oh, I was just on the funnest <laughs> podcast with Alex. She's so bubbly at everything. <laughs> but before we get to this interview, let's tell everyone who we are supported by. We are supported by Bravado Designs. Shane, what does Bravado make? Bras. Not just any bras. The best bras. <laughs> they make the best bras that you can get your hands on that you can get your boobs into. They're the breast bras? They are the breast bras. I'm glad you said so. But they truly are. I got into them when I was first nursing Lucy. Literally. Four years ago. And I haven't looked back. They are so comfortable and so practical. And they look great under a t-shirt. And now it's so nice because as I'm trying unsuccessfully to wean Betty a little bit, they have an everyday collection. So when I am done my breastfeeding journey, they have an everyday collection. These bras have no clips. They are not just for nursing mothers. They are for everybody. Again, same comfort, same amazing quality, and they look great under a shirt. What age do you think in that breastfeeding journey is going to end? Jeez Louise. I'm trying, but I don't know. <laughs> it's, already, it's already going longer than I anticipated, but we'll see. Anyhow, you can get the nursing bras at bravadodesigns.com and you can head to the Canadian website for access to the everyday collection at ca.bravadodesigns.com. But regardless of which website you go to, use the promo code thisfamilytree20 for 20% off. Again, that is bravadodesigns.com and thisfamilytree20. And now let's get to our interview with Annalise Lawton. Annalise Lawton, thank you so much for joining me on This Family Tree podcast. I'm very excited to have you. You and I have connected before, but we haven't sat down for something like this just one-on-one. But I did hear you tell some really heart-wrenching, beautiful stories at the St. Joe's Maternal Health Conference. So we were both speakers on that panel. 
sharing stories of maternal mental health and why that's important to us. But we're here today because you've just written a book. I did. I did. I, uh, I'm still in denial that this is even happening. <laughs> I, like, Even though I've been working on it since 2017, it kind of happened really fast. Um, in January, things kind of, I got a publisher in January and things kind of took off from there. So yeah, it's, it's coming out officially October 1st and it's in pre-sales now. So your book is called Welcome to the Jungle. And what I, I know it discusses motherhood and your struggles and joys and everything that you have experienced. But if can you give us a better synopsis than my shitty one? <laughs> um, you captured it pretty good. Yeah, no, of course. So it is about motherhood, but I also think that it really applies to women in general. I think all women will find something that they can relate to in it because I start the book at age 13. And I talk about how I was teased and made fun of and how I pivoted myself and who I was to kind of fit in with the cool kids and the popular kids. And in doing that, I lost a little bit of myself. So, you know, I was raised by Eastern Europeans. They're very traditional, Roman Catholic. I wore underwear that covered my butt while kids were wearing thongs. And like, it just, it was a completely different world that these popular kids were growing up in compared to me. I believed in Santa until I was 13. I (laughs) I I love that. And it was like devastating when I learned that. Oh no. (laughs) Yeah. Like really did. My parents did a a really good job at like sheltering us. Wait, wait, wait. Um, Okay. Sorry, Annie, before you go on, I need to, I need to delve into the Santa thing. Okay. Just purely for my own interest. How did you eventually find out? Okay. So we were on the schoolyard and one of my friends was like, oh man, like last night, my little brother came home and someone told him Santa wasn't real. And my mom had to sit down with him and tell him the truth. And like, as she's saying this, my eyes are just like, wait, yeah. So that's how I found out from someone my age who already know that knew the truth. And not trying to be malicious, just like talking you like yeah. another 13 year old. Yeah. Cause like by 13, most people are <laughs> well adjusted and I totally wasn't. Hey, I like keeping the magic alive for that long. I think it's really sweet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's funny cause this is kind of going off topic, but my husband was raised in a household where he never believed in Santa. So we raising our kids is, is very interesting, bringing these two dynamics yeah. together. And I, I want to touch on that after, actually, because I do want to get into parenting later on. And I think that because my husband and myself have very different upbringings as well. And I think when we first, you know, begin to have kids, we were like, oh, how's this going to factor into how we parent? It's working out really smoothly. And I think we come to natural compromises. But it is odd when you have two people from totally different places raising children together to make those choices. But we'll, we'll get back to that. Yes, for sure. But yeah, so I, you know, you pivot and you change yourself to fit in. And then you go to high school and you you kind of do a little bit of the same. You pivot and you change yourself and you get into a relationship and you pivot and you change yourself. And, you know, I think for girls, a lot of that maybe ties into their virginity and, and that can, you know, leave some holes in you and cause some 
some chaos in your life and then you go off to university or you don't and you make choices either for somebody else or for yourself. I think in most cases, when you're 18, 19 years old, sometimes you're making a choice for somebody else, whether it's a relationship or to, you know, um, impress your parents and you lose yourself again. And then you become a mom and you're this Swiss cheese version of who you were supposed to be. And in my book, I write that at least this is what I believe is a lot of us think that we lose ourselves in motherhood. And while you do lose yourself in motherhood, you know, your body changes and it changes your relationship. It changes your marriage. It changes a lot of things, but I think we're already lost by the time we get there. And that's what makes it so hard to cope with everything else that's thrown at us. No, I think that's a really great way to put it in a great way of looking at it. And I haven't considered how far back the losing yourself actually begins, but I think that's perfect because like in high school, do we have any idea, like you've said, about who we actually are? No, not really. We're trying things out. We're meeting people. We're seeing what we like, what we don't like. I don't even think you can start considering that. In university and through all of my 20s, you feel that independence and you want to pretend like you're doing things for yourself. Yeah. But again, like you said, you're doing it for parents. You're doing it for relationships. You're doing it for friend groups. I can think of any big decision I made at that point in my life. And it was for one of those reasons. And in motherhood, like my experience has been, you know, it was really hard to adjust. But I think rather than losing myself, I think I already was lost. And I think motherhood gave yeah. me a reason. It was kind of the catalyst to bring that all back together and going from the Swiss cheese that you mentioned to like a nice, like Habari. creamy, yeah, or cheddar, a brie, <laughs> yeah. a brie even. I'd like to say I'm a brie. Yes, you are a brie. Own it. Um, but yeah, I I completely agree with you. I think one of the things that is amazing about children is how raw and vulnerable they are and how they see the world. And when, you know, I stopped fighting for things the way that like a two-year-old fights for something that they want. And well, you can't have a tantrum for the things that you want. You should be that passionate about the things that you want in life. And I think we lose that. And it was my kids that really like shook me awake and they're going to go through life, not knowing who they are and changing themselves for other people. And that's all a part of growing up. And I love who I am today. And it's a big result of the things that I've been through. But I also don't want them to hurt as badly as I did at certain periods in my life. So finding myself and making myself whole and doing what I love will hopefully inspire them to do the same. Now, were there any were there any like major pivotal moments that you think you made decisions that weren't or a decision, if we can even pinpoint one, that was not for you that really changed the course of things? Yes. Yeah, so I was in a relationship for about four years. I met this guy when I was 17, two months before graduation, um, high school graduation. And he went to Brock University, which is in St. Catharines. I went to Trent University, which is in Peterborough. It was my first time away from home ever. Came from a really tight, close-knit family. I had never done my own laundry. I'd never cooked myself a meal. My mom made my bed like 
typical Italian mother, right? (laughs) So not only was I struggling with being on my own for the first time, but this guy that I did lose my virginity to who lived three hours away, I was clinging on to that with like everything that I had. So I didn't go out with friends. I didn't make friends. I didn't go to class. I got very depressed and I ended up dropping out of school, dropping out of my first year, didn't get all of my credits. And then I transferred and followed this guy to Brock University. And do you think that that all stemmed from the fact that you lost your virginity to him and that because if you're thinking, looking at it with a Catholic lens, right, I'm Roman Catholic as well good Polish family from the same city you're from. Yes. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, when you lose your virginity to somebody in the Catholic church, that essentially means that, okay, now you need to get married or you should yes. continue on the path that leads to marriage. So is that what it all came down to the fact that you had sex with that guy? Yep. Yeah, I was damaged goods after that. And what other guy would want me? Number you one. you believe that? I believe that. Yes. I believe that. I believe that we were supposed to be together and that we loved each other. And I think one of the faults with the Catholic church and and the way that sex is kind of communicated to girls is that it's all based on love. And sometimes it's not. A lot of time. Most of the time, I will say. Yeah. Most of the time, it's not. Most of the time, it's not. (laughs) And in my head at 18 years old, it it was the real deal. So Mm -hmm. Everything I did was working towards marrying this guy after graduation. And I didn't make friends. I invested everything in him. And the month we graduated university, he broke up with me on Facebook Messenger. What and the hell? I've never seen him again. How old is this man at this point? He is 34. No, no, no. Sorry. At this point in the oh. story. like Oh, at this point in the story, I had just turned 21. He had just turned 23. 23. You don't break up. Yeah. I mean, we're over that when we're 15. We know better. I know. I know. So I, I, we had started dating when I was 17 and went through university together, literally like mm-hmm. high school graduation to graduating university. And then the relationship ended and I lost those four years of making those solid friendships and building that confidence because it wasn't a healthy relationship. I gained a lot of insecurity. I dealed with a lot of depression. I drank a lot of alcohol. I was not living my best life. And then I was just thrown into the world at 23 to figure out who, like starting your career, figuring out who I was without this guy, dating again as someone who gave up what she believed was the most valuable piece of herself. And it was really chaotic for me. No, it it's stressful. And I don't think as people in our early 20s, we have hardly any coping skills for that kind of thing. I mean, I look no. back to university and unfortunately, any way that anybody dealt with stress from school, friendship stress, relationship stress, parent stress, was by drinking, was by going out. And that's obviously that I went to Western. Uh, yeah. That's a notorious. And if, if you're a listener from outside of Canada, Western is a notorious party school. Yeah. And you see a lot of, I don't necessarily want to point blank call it alcoholism, but you see a lot of burgeoning alcoholism. Of course. And, and, yep. and that leads to bad habits as adults because then we don't gain the coping skills. And I mean, you know, I look at choices I made at that same time in my life 
like I made friends at Western. My best friends was this, this group of guys. We were best yeah. friends. We hung out every day. It was totally platonic. It was super fun. They wanted me to, after first year, get a house and live with them in the house. And I really wanted to. But I was still dating a high school boyfriend and he wasn't comfortable yeah. with that. So I said no. And I ended up living with some girls that bullied me while I yeah. lived in the house. And I've talked about this on the podcast. And we're just generally not good friends. And like, you, you know, there were some good moments and everything, but I don't call them now. And uh, it just, it wasn't a healthy friendship. Whereas if I was with the guys, it would be. And maybe I could have learned something from being with a healthy group of ambitious friends, but I didn't. And I I, I held myself yeah. back and I totally... I totally regret that because I ended up dumping the guy anyway, like three months later. So <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. Right. Like, and, and you can't go back in time and you can't change it. So you have to live with those decisions. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and I don't know if you feel this way. I find it really hard to make friends. Yeah. I kind of always have, and then you become a mom and it's even harder to make friends because your friends, kids have to get along with your kids. And like, it's, it's this whole thing. Like it, there's so many layers to friendship as a mom. And I always wonder if I missed out on meeting that core group that I see a lot of people have that they took with them from those university years. And I don't have that. So, so I feel like I'm just like trudging water, trying to meet someone that clicks with me. Girl, I'm treading beside you. I feel, I feel that exact same thing. Honestly, yeah. I have the same thoughts yeah. because I was also loyal to a friend group, but like, I love my friends. So some of my best friends I've had since junior kindergarten, uh, junior kindergarten, sorry, stumbling. Aww. I'm very sick right now. Um, oh, and, well, and, thank you for doing this with me. No, I, I'm very excited. So, and then my other best friends are from high school and those two, like my junior kindergarten friends and my high school friends were like kind of one group, but everybody's doing their own thing. Uh, some of them live very far away now yes. and we don't, yeah. we don't hang. Like my husband's friends are all in the city. And even if they hang out infrequently, it's way more frequently than I get to see my buddies. And I feel like I missed out on having a really great group of like-minded people in university Yeah, who I'm friends with now. It sucks. And I'm, I feel the exact same about adult friendships or mom friendships, whatever, because I find I like totally throw myself into it I say tons of really stupid shit right yes. off the bat because I'm like <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna lay it all out on the table for them and if they yeah. you know if they're into it they're into it and then I don't even get to know if they're into it or not because then I start to pull away because I'm I lay at night I lay awake thinking oh my god I actually told them that I actually made this joke Ooh, that was probably offensive like all these things yeah. and then I worry about it so much that I I kind of retreat it's a weird cycle. It's hard. I feel like you're my person. I <laughs> honestly, like I will go to the park and meet a random mom and like tell her about <laughs> during labor. Like I will literally have this conversation when they put the mirror in front of me while I was in labor with my first son and like watching my massive hemorrhoid just like pop in and out. And like, then I don't get a call back and I wonder why. <laughs> I love overshares. It makes me yeah. feel so comfortable. It does. And I think like as someone who struggles with anxiety, 
you just kind of like verbal diarrhea Mm -hmm. stuff out of your mouth, which makes you approachable to the people who want to approach you and makes those people feel comfortable. But, but for people who aren't ready for that level of openness, it terrifies them. And then you second guess yourself. But I think it's not worth changing because the people that come into your life from being open and oversharing and all of that stuff are like, they bring you the best friendships. And it's nice to have those types of friendships where like nothing is off the table, where you can talk about anything. Um, They come so few and far between, but they're so fulfilling and so fun. No, I I totally agree. I see it the same way. And anytime I get worried and I'm like, ooh, maybe I'm going to keep my mouth shut this time, I ultimately don't because number one is just too much fun to start blabbing when I am away from my kids and I have the chance. Yeah. And it's just, yeah, I like, I like those people better anyway. Yeah. Don't change yourself, right? Like you want to attract the people who are like you. Mm-hmm. And And I think that's one thing. And I don't know if it's about like being in your thirties, but I've started giving less craps about what people think about me. And, you know, I had a blog, which was kind of the starting point to where my book got. And I took like a year and a half to two years off of writing on my blog because I couldn't take the criticism from people. It broke me. And now I'm like, I really don't care what people say. Like I really I've gotten to a point where I don't care what people say. And it's kind of an awesome place to be in. Like, I love being in my 30s. It's, I just wish I had closer friends. Mm. I have them. Those relationships are building, but I still feel like I missed out on, you know, that core group. Yeah, no, I feel the same. And and same with about being in my 30s. Like, I wish I had the confidence and the sense of self that I have now in my 20s when I was developing those relationships. But at the same time, I'm glad I didn't because then maybe I wouldn't have ended up where I currently am with the husband I currently have. I had to go through several soul searching, lots of musicians (laughs) to get to the place in dating where I am now. And it's nice. And I really appreciate everything I went through for the fact that it it brought me here. And like ultimately, you know, in, in my dating life and all of that, it was a fun search. I'm going to say I had a great time searching. (laughs) (laughs) But so I want to get to the point where you start having children and how your relationship with yourself started to form at that point. Because you mentioned you had anxiety. Did Have you always had anxiety or did that come with the kids and those responsibilities? You know what? I think there has always been an underlying mental health issue. Mm -hmm. The earliest I can think back that it probably started was around 13. And I don't know if it was the result of being bullied around 13 years old or the hormones that start coming through your body at 13. You know what I mean? I'm not sure where it started. It started or why it started, but it started around then. And it's something I struggled with through university. I remember in first year, I went to the doctor's office and they wrote me a prescription for Prozac. And I went back to my dorm room and I sobbed because I thought like, what the hell is wrong with me? Mm -hmm. Like, like, why do I need Prozac? Because Prozac had such a negative connotation around it. Absolutely, Um, yeah. And I didn't take it. And I struggled through the next 10 years until I had a baby. And 
when you have underlying mental health issues like anxiety and depression, you're at way higher risk when you have a baby for postpartum depression or even perinatal depression. And then in my case, I had a high risk pregnancy. So that put me even in a higher category for mental health complications afterwards. And and why was your pregnancy, if you don't mind me asking, considered high risk? For sure. So my son, who is six now and almost six and doing very well for our 12 week ultrasound, we went to the doctor and, or the, the ultrasound and everything looked good, sent us on our way. I posted the announcement. We were so excited. And then I got a phone call from my doctor the very next day. And they said that they found thickened nuchal translucency, which is mm-hmm. in the back of the neck. And it's one of the soft markers for down syndrome. So my doctor went over the statistics and it was very rare for, for this to come back as, as thick as it was. And it put him in a higher category for having down syndrome or, um, trisomy 13. Mm -hmm. And there's a a few of them, right? So right away, they transferred us to McMaster children's hospital in Hamilton, and they placed us with a genetics counselor and a high-risk OB there. And we went through non-invasive prenatal screening and we were going for weekly ultrasounds to monitor the nuchal translucency at around 18 weeks. We finally got the non-invasive screening back and they told us we were having a little boy. And they also told us that it was low risk for any trisomies, any trisomies. Mm -hmm. So we celebrated and as then the genetics counselor left and the high risk OB came in and said, that's all good news, but we found a rare buildup of fluid between the third and fourth ventricle in your baby's brain. So instead of the trisomies, we're now looking at a chromosomal micro deletion. So we had to make the decision on whether or not to get amniocentesis. And for anyone who doesn't know the stats with that, there's a one in 200 chance that you miscarry the baby. This kind of circles back to my husband and I being very different being raised Roman Catholic, I am pro-choice. Like I totally support women in their decision to make a choice that's best for them. I never thought I, there would be any situation that would push me to have an abortion. But that conversation came up that depending on the outcome of the testing, the best thing for my baby may be to have an abortion and, or terminate the pregnancy. And that was just like such a mind. Uh, Can I swear? The fucking swear all the fuck you want. (laughs) It was a mind fuck. It was a mind fuck. Like I, from like a religious perspective and a new mom perspective and uh, what will people think of me perspective and what's best for my baby perspective. Like it just ate me alive. And my husband, who's an atheist (laughs) was very much like, if the baby's not viable, you know, this is heartbreaking. I love our child, but the baby's not viable. And in my mind, I was like, I'm the one that is delivering this child that may not be viable. I'm the one that's going through all of this. And there was some resentment there. It was, it was really hard. So anyways, we made the decision to go through amnio. There were issues with culturing. It wasn't until 28 weeks pregnant when we had already named this child and feeling movements and all of this stuff that we found out everything was fine. But I had already put up a wall at that point and I had already tried to protect myself from the fact that I may not 
be having a child at the end of this pregnancy. And that really led to a disconnect with my baby. And then my baby didn't latch or breastfeed. And it just like snowballed from there. Mm -hmm. No, that's so tough. We went through the amnio as well with our first. Both kids were at risk of having a chromosomal abnormality. With Lucy, my first, I did the amnio without thinking too much about it. I was like, I need to know. I just want to prepare. Yeah. And then some of the abnormalities are really, really awful. Like the baby could be born, only survive a couple hours to a couple days and in excruciating pain. I don't want that for my child. I know. So again, for me, I was like, okay, like I know what I want to do in some of these cases. Yeah. And that is a decision that, you know, in a lot of places right now, mothers wouldn't be able to make. I know. Um, which I yeah. think is also best for the baby in some, and yeah. I, again, people could argue me on that. That's fine. We're okay to differing views, but I don't think that a baby should be born into excruciating pain just to die a couple hours later. Yeah. And one of the things I was thinking about is if my baby is going to die, do I want them to die in my arms knowing that I love them? Mm-hmm. And this was my way of thinking. Yeah. Or alone in my belly, having never had the opportunity to like feel my touch. And that was one of the things that I really struggled with. But Mm -hmm. at the end of the day, I did not want them to suffer at all. So that's what it came down to was, Mm -hmm. yeah. And it's such a, it's such a hard conversation to have with yourself and think about. And my heart hurts for the parents who ended up becoming the statistic that we feared. Like, Mm we went through the first half of, of that trauma, but some families have to live out that trauma and that just, it breaks my heart. No, absolutely. And, you know, along that line of thinking too, because my mind was there, my mind was there constantly. I cried for, from the time I got my amnio for like the two weeks that I had to wait to get the results or whatever it was. Like I cried every yeah. night thinking of every situation. Yeah. And I remember thinking about that, like, well, do, if there is a, a, a trisomy, like a fatal trisomy, do I have the baby and do I hold them or do they not know me? And it's like, well, you know what? Yeah. The baby doesn't know. They're in the a comfortable yeah. spot. If I wanted them and what I, and again, I can hear the argument against this and definitely <laughs> empathize with it. But what I came down to is like, no, if I have them out suffering, it's for my own self because I want to hold yeah. my baby. It's not for the baby. It's because I want to hold the baby. And it's, it's so, it's so hard because there's conflicting thoughts, everything. Exactly. And I think that both you and I, and I don't want to speak for you, but I think we would agree that whatever decision a mother makes, if they're in this situation, they're making the best decision for them. And they're totally supported in that choice because it's fucking hard. Like there is no right, there is no right choice. And I recognize my privilege that we didn't end up having to make that decision, but those thoughts still like anytime I thought about becoming pregnant afterwards, which at eight months postpartum, I got pregnant again. Cause you, okay. You had three kids in like four years, right? Three kids in less than four years. Yeah. Jesus. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I would say that like, we have a lot of sex, but they were like, just like, one hit wonders. We that's we, wild. That's we wild. Really, yeah. We got really lucky. Um and my kids just wanted to exist and be in this world. So 
Well, yeah, I was going to ask what you guys, like what kind of aphrodisiacs you're putting in your coffee over there because I need that at this house, but no, no that's there's, amazing. There's, there's no fun happening over here anymore. <laughs> it just was like luck of the draw that, that, that I got pregnant. <laughs> that's incredible. So did the anxiety carry on in your subsequent pregnancies or was that something you were able to kind of attack and overcome? Yeah, so... My son, my second son was conceived on my husband's birthday. So there's a fun piece of information for him. <laughs> and, you know, it was two days after my period had ended. So I did not think that I was ovulating. Oh my God. And then I got a, a positive pregnancy test. And at this point, I was struggling with undiagnosed postpartum depression. Okay. Um, so now that I reflect back, 100% there was postpartum depression, but I didn't. I thought that's just what it felt like to be a mom, like exhausted and frustrated and grumpy and ragey and all of those great things. And then I got pregnant. I got that positive pregnancy test and I was devastated because I did not think I would survive. The, like my baby would be fine, hopefully. I did not think I personally would survive the pregnancy. Um, and I actually ended up coming up with a plan to take my life during that pregnancy. And I didn't because I didn't want to harm my baby. And that's kind of what got me through, but I had a plan and I was like, like it was touch and go there for a little while. So this is severe. This is beyond just postpartum rage. This is beyond baby blues. This is significant depression. And I know I don't have the stats and I don't know the stats on the top of my head, but I do know that this is not entirely uncommon for mothers. No. I had postpartum anxiety, but I, I never got to a point of planning something. Because one thing that I think to think about it, yeah. but another thing to actually sit there and, and like develop a way to make that happen. Yeah. It's hard to think about mm -hmm. now that I'm in a healthy place because I never, and it, it's, it's hard to talk about because I never want my kids to think that it was their fault mm -hmm. because none of that is their fault. I was sick. And I think a lot of people, we know postpartum depression exists, but we don't really touch on perinatal depression, like depression while you're pregnant. And that is a very real thing. I remember talking to my OB about it and not about the suicidal thoughts, but about being depressed. And she blew me off and didn't take it seriously. Wow. That's very scary. It is very scary. And I ended up going in to threaten preterm labor at 30 weeks Jesus. pregnant. I think due to the stress, I was 80% effaced and three centimeters dilated and taken by ambulance to Sunnybrook Hospital oh for two God. weeks on bed rest. Thankfully, I didn't deliver my son until 38 weeks, but it was a second traumatic experience. And when he was born, it was just uh, really hard. Yeah. All right, Annalise, we're going to take a quick break and let our listeners know who we're supported by. We are supported by True Earth. And if you listen to our podcast, you know that Shane and I are taking environmentalism seriously. We are trying to reduce our environmental footprints. And one way we're doing that is by eliminating single-use plastics in our household. It's true. We eliminate double-use, triple-use, quadruple-use. <laughs> What's five-use? I don't know. 
quintuple. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it, it is hard. And the biggest step that we took was eliminating plastic and liquid laundry, well, liquid laundry detergent in plastic jugs. Not only is that a waste of water and just the plastic doesn't even get recycled properly. Only like 70% of the things that we actually put in the recycling gets recycled. But it took up so much space in our laundry room. So when we discovered True Earth laundry detergent, we didn't look back. The detergent comes in these pre-measured soluble strips and you just simply rip them apart and toss them in your washer. It is so easy. And fun. (laughs) <laughs> ripping stuff is fun and the best part is that there's no plastic the packaging is just so compact and it has drastically changed how our laundry room looks and like the amount of stuff i can now get on those shelves it's beautiful in that laundry room <laughs> and betty and lucy our kids have really sensitive skin so for them we typically opt for the baby detergent because it's fragrance free gentle on skin and it's still so tough on dirt but Shane and I have become obsessed with the new Lilac Breeze scent. It is gorgeous. It's still so, so gentle on everybody's skin. And again, it just like, it smells amazing. It works amazing. It is such a great product. So check out True Earth Detergent at true.earth and use the promo code thisfamilytree10 to get 10% off your order, whether that is a one-time order or a subscription. Again, that is true.earth and thisfamilytree10. But we are also supported by... We are also supported by Mini Miosh. It's a premium, organic, ethically made, and sustainable kids and babies clothing company founded and created in Toronto. Mini Miosh believes in quality over quantity, and they make the best basics that you can get for your littles. I'm talking fashionable wardrobe staples that are soft, comfy, timeless, and can be passed from kid to kid regardless of gender. And to woman? And to women, Mini Miosh now has a women's collection called M and West. So this is all French terry, again, sustainable quality clothing. And like, do you get jealous when you see me wearing mine? Um, yes. (laughs) It is nice. Why are they called M and West? I don't know. That's a good question. Some mysteries uh, make it cooler. I I I think it's amazing. If you knew it wouldn't be as cool. Yeah, like it's probably somebody's kids, but we just won't even go down that road. But again, it is beautiful. It is simple clothing. And mini Miosh in all of their forms are on a mission to leave the planet better off for our kids than when they arrived here. And they believe that every little bit counts. So you can find the company online at minimiosh.com or at minimiosh on Instagram and Facebook. And if you use the promo code thisfamilytree15, you're getting 15% off your order. This is available in Canada, and in the U.S., it is one use per customer. So stock your cart. And again, that is minimiosh.com and this family tree 15. And now let's get back to our interview. I just, I'm having trouble thinking about an OB that's blowing off a patient for that because obstetricians understand the hormonal change, the physical change, the the challenges that they're putting their bodies through. Yes. And that. Like, that's very scary to think about, to think about the people that are getting swept under the rug. Yes. And I will say, I went to my OB about three days before I went into threatened preterm labor Mm -hmm. and told her I had been contracting regularly. Mm -hmm. And she, this is the same time I had the conversation about my mental health. And she told me, it's your second baby you know, you feel things earlier, they're Braxton Hicks. Mm. And then three days later, I'm rushed an hour away from home, abandoning my 15 month old baby for two weeks because I actually was dilating and going into labor. So I think moms 
especially first time moms, like second time around, I knew a bit more about my body Mm -hmm. and how I was feeling, but a lot of the time we're not taken seriously. And I'm not going to say that moms call or cry wolf, but it's like, things can change so quickly in a pregnancy. And I like totally support people going to labor and delivery and calling their doctor and like Mm -hmm. midwives are really great for that. And because I was in the high risk category, I wasn't granted access to having mid mid support from a midwife, Mm -hmm. but OBs just don't provide the same amount of access that I think we need here in Ontario during a pregnancy. No, I, I I agree. I went through the high risk system as well and loved it. I loved my OB, but I wish that I had just somebody to, you know, bounce things off of a yeah. little bit more frequently. Not all the time, but just a little more frequently because yeah. it does get scary. So with these emotions that you're having, because I can't imagine that then going on bed rest would help your mental health situation how did you come to terms that did you end up talking to somebody about it how did you solve that issue I I don't know how else to word that I spent a lot of time in my closet honestly like just sobbing in the dark in my closet and my husband was my only line of support did he know though where your thoughts were he didn't know they were as bad Mm -hmm. as they were I didn't want to tell anybody because of this, I really worried that like I would deliver my baby and they would scoop him up and take him away. Yeah. Or take away my 15 month old son. Mm-hmm. It just, I was terrified. So I didn't tell anybody what I was thinking at the time. Yeah. And, but how, how did you get that resolved? So after my second son was born, I had a full fledged mental breakdown, um, like screaming, throwing stuff. Like it was a, it was a, I snapped one day and my husband said, you need to get help. I'm calling your parents. We're rallying in the troops. Like this is enough. Like this isn't something that's going to fix itself. And I started antidepressants that week and it changed my life. That's amazing. Yeah. That's amazing. And, and that's the thing. It's so important for people to be able to say fuck the stigma but that that alone getting to that point is so hard it is so hard and then there are very real fears like yeah you said and especially in other communities in minority communities in canada in indigenous communities especially if you are you know worried about possibly saying hey i have mental health issues because there's a decades-long history of authorities going in and actually scooping up their babies right oh yes and no, it's it's very scary. And especially mothers who are, whether you're pregnant or in postpartum, um, especially, and you're just, you're going through so much. That is so scary. But still, you had another, another one not too long after. <laughs> yeah. So one thing I do want to say, and I write about this in one of the chapters in my book, is taking that first antidepressant to me felt like mixing like the same shame Mm -hmm. I felt was the same shame I felt when I was mixing my first bottle of formula for Mm. my, for my firstborn baby and fed is best, man. Like Mm -hmm. feed your baby. However, the heck you want to feed your baby, throw a like 
syringe on your husband's boob and like, like feed them that way. I really don't care how you feed your kid, but I went to lactation consultants and you know that I won't get into that, but like I did that whole journey and my son just like, was not going to breastfeed. And there was so much shame that came around formula. I felt the same amount of shame taking that antidepressant. And then the outcome of both of those decisions made me so much happier once I came to terms with the fact that it was okay. So come time for baby number three, I was medicated. I had my like cabinet stocked with formula. Like I was in such a good headspace <laughs> that I was good to go. I was 30 and you know, it just having my first baby at 26 versus almost 30 was like a totally different experience. And I did stay on my medication during my pregnancy with my third, which was terrifying because even though I am on antidepressants and anti-anxiety meds, there is still anxiety that is there. And having had two high-risk pregnancies, the fact that there were very minimal risks, um, I didn't want to introduce any risk. Like I didn't even drink coffee when I was pregnant, eat sushi. Like I played it by the rules and it ended up being besides the pandemic happening while I was pregnant, it has been like, I feel like I'm floating on a cloud compared to the others. It is the most, it is the best experience and something I can relate with you on. Didn't breastfeed my first, didn't breastfeed my second. I am like 25 months in and cannot get this girl off my boob. Right. It's difficult. It's difficult. Yeah, yeah we're, tw- we're 24 and it's hard. She slaps me. She pulls my shirt down. She screams, boo boo mama. We're still nursing like three, four times a night. Yeah. Um, like throughout the she, night? Throughout the night. So you're still not still, sleeping? I'm still, she's still nursing three oh, to girl. three, four times a night. That's like, see, at yeah. least Betty, she, she's been done with nighttime, like in the middle of the night feedings for like a year. So oh. I've been sleeping, but we're just doing it all day long. See, we're not doing, we're flipped. We're not doing it during the day. She's fine during the day. It's nighttime where like, and she wakes the house up. If I say no, <laughs> she gets so mad. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's funny how you cannot nurse two babies. And then your third year you're nursing for like six years. <laughs> kids are so different. You cannot yeah. having five kids makes you, yeah, sure. It makes you a veteran parent, but it doesn't mean, you know, everything because you know, if you have a six, I can almost guarantee there's going to be something that comes up that you haven't dealt with. And I think that parents always need to remember that, that, Hey, I don't care. Like I've got two kids, but I'm not going to even make any judgments about you with yours because you're probably dealing with something that I never have. And no, no two kids are the same in every way. No, I find it so crazy that all three of my kids came from the same vagina and they are all so different. Like, <laughs> like my oldest is, did turn out to be neurodiverse, not a result of any of the complications we had during mm-hmm. pregnancy, but he's just wired differently and has ADHD and sensory processing needs. And he's quirky and fun and loves math. And then my second is like, broke his foot at two years old, has had stitches through his lip. He's like the crazy one. And my daughter is so calm, so well-rounded, so sweet. And it's hard to believe I've raised Mm. each of them, you know, like, and I will say with that, I do wonder if my depression caused 
And I know it didn't. Like logically, I know it didn't. But my daughter, who I've raised while on medication, <laughs> is so gentle and, and kind. And my boys are wild and rambunctious and have their own quirks. And I sometimes wonder and regret that I didn't start my medication sooner because I blame myself for a lot of absent periods in the beginning where mm-hmm. I was consumed with my thoughts. Oh, yeah. It's it's difficult. And I think that we need to just work towards separating our reality from those thoughts. Yeah. And again, that's like a daily struggle, an hourly struggle to be able to do that. But at least you can look like step back and rationally say, I know this isn't the cause, but emotionally that's that's its own thing. And, you know, we started this whole conversation talking about our sense of self and gaining that sense of self back after losing it as very young people, as girls. Yes. And I'm curious if there was a pivotal moment for you in adulthood, in your 30s or after you became a mom, whatever, where you said, like, I'm I'm whole again or I'm finally becoming whole. I'm finally becoming that Brie. Yeah. So... After I had one thing I didn't mess- mention, and it's going to sound crazy to everybody who's listening to this, because how much more can one person take? Yeah. Um, I was diagnosed with a tumor as well while I was Jesus. pregnant with my second son, and it was wrapped around my facial nerves. And oh my God. they said it was going to possibly paralyze um, the right side of my face when they did the surgery. And that put a lot into perspective. Like I lost my my body, I, my career wasn't what I wanted. Like there were all of these changes happening. And the one familiar thing I had was my face. Mm -hmm. And now I was looking down the barrel of not having the same face. I was used to looking in the mirror at every single day. And I had to really like, because of a surgery, because of the surgery. So Mm -hmm. it was either they got the whole tumor and risked ruining the facial nerves, Mm -hmm. which would cause paralysis, or they would leave some of the tumor. I'd have to go through radiation and then most likely not be able to have more children. So, and we knew we wanted more children. Mm -hmm. So it was a really, really tough um, thing to, to work through. But I had this, like, I was forced to have an epiphany about what mattered and what didn't. And I walked out on my job that I had, which was in environmental consulting, completely different than what I'm doing now. And I really decided it was time to focus on the things that truly make me made me happy, filled my cup that I wanted to be doing because life was short and there was just too much chaos. And for me, what it came down to was if I didn't assign a purpose to all of the stuff that I had been through and do something positive with it, then I couldn't justify why it happened to me. And I don't believe that bad things happen for a reason. And I really don't because I think that's a shitty thing for someone to hear who's going through something really hard, right? However, the bad things that happened to me when I assigned a purpose to it, it became easier for me to cope with it and do good with those things and hopefully help other people move forward through their heart. And that's really how I found my place and purpose in this world is using my heart to create a purpose for myself. Mm-hmm. No, I, I think that's really beautiful. And yeah, life is shitty in its essence it and it's it's hard yeah. and it's challenging and things don't go right just by no. chance. 
things if you just leave things they'll probably go wrong it's difficult things don't bad things don't happen for a reason I once had somebody try to tell me that too and tell me that's why I had lupus and all these struggles and I was it it was so disheartening and it was so annoying and especially because I didn't even ask for it yeah and uh yeah there's there's nothing okay about that but I'm so excited Annalise to read your book and to get to know your story even on deeper level so how can people get it because I know it's in pre-sale right now Yeah. So it's in pre-sale right now. My publisher is Pandemonium Publishing House. So you can get it at pandemoniumpublishing.com. I have the link up on my Instagram, which is at Annie Lawton with an underscore underneath. Um, So you can grab it there. And then come October 1st, it's going to be in 14 countries in all major bookstores like Barnes and Noble, Indigo Chapters, Amazon, um, and big retailers. So hell yeah. Yeah. No, I yeah. love to hear it. I'm so excited for you. I thank cannot you. wait. And like Annie, thank you so much for joining me and good luck on everything you're embarking on right now because it's wild. Thank you. And good for you too, man. I get <laughs> the hustle. I get it. And like we should grab beer sometime. Cause hell yeah. we're in the same city, right? You're you're in you're in, I'm in Burlington. You're in Burlington. Basically. I'm, I'm based I'm like at Wealth Line. So I'm close. We're neighbors. We're neighbors. We Let's are. do it. Yeah. I'm in. Let's let me let Let's me give you some verbal diarrhea. Perfect. I can't <laughs> wait. <laughs> Annie, thanks so much. Have a great day. Thank eh? you. You too. Bye. Good interview. I'm so glad you found yourself, Alex. <laughs> I am. I am too. I am too. And I think finding you and finding myself kind of went hand in hand, babe. Do you think finding yourself just means you give less of a shit about stuff you shouldn't give a shit about? Yes, that's basically it's like when you are kind of lost, you're giving shits about things that you shouldn't give a shit about and that your true self wouldn't give shits about. But you're giving shits because other people give shits. Hmm. (laughs) Do you want to intro our next segment? The next segment is the mailbag segment. And I want everyone to give shits, give a fucking (laughs) shit about this. (laughs) I just like seeing shit a lot. Uh, Because you've taken not shitty questions and you've given a shit and researched the shit out of them. And now here's the shit that you found. All right. Are you ready for some shit? Yes. Okay. How has your relationship changed since getting married? And do you think that it changed from marriage or from having kids? I think we're missing one big factor here, and that is age. And I think marriage, maybe, kids for sure, because it forces you to reprioritize and think less of your own, you know, whatever needs and things like that. But I think age, just growing up and maturing is a huge part of it. What do you think? Hmm. Yeah, I guess getting to know each other. Like, I certainly feel like I've gotten to know you a lot more mm-hmm. since we've gotten married and had kids. We did get married at a year of dating, so. Yeah, and I feel like your jump in age was more significant than mine because a 26-year-old to a 30-year-old, mm-hmm. that's a significant jump. And going from 32 to 39 isn't as significant as 26 to mm, big 33. Time. I was a wild child. Yeah. Look at me now. I uh, took out some garbage today. All the way out of the house, though? Yes. Okay. I took it to my dad's house. Wow. That's far. 
<laughs> Why'd you take it all the way to your dad's house? Because he's going to take it to the dump next week. Nice. Okay. <laughs> That's cool. Well, because we're going away, so I, I figured it was a good, a good way to do it, you know? Just yes. helping out the fam. Um, and you get on me for not taking out the garbage. So I really I've never to gotten it. on you for not taking out the garbage. Getting on you is just jokingly mentioning <laughs> that you've never done it. Oh, I'm a, I'm a real uh, hard ass. Um, okay. The Texas carpool lane pregnant woman story. What is your take on that? So for those who, you know this article, right? Pardon me? You know the article about the Texas woman I know the, the story, yeah, okay. the headline. Yeah, so for those who don't, um, you know, Texas has an anti-abortion law uh, because they're recognizing fetuses as persons. So a woman, a pregnant woman, was recently in a carpool lane, and then a cop pulled her over and was like, ma'am, like, you're, only, you're the only one in the car. He's going to find her. And she said, actually, with Roe versus Wade being overturned, then my fetus is recognized as a person and therefore I am not the only person in my car in the carpool lane. So it sparked a debate. So what do you think? Do you think she was reaching or do you think that it's a valid? It's obviously a great argument if, that, if that's yeah. the law in that state and there's different laws in every state. So if I got pulled over and I came up with that, I'd be very proud of myself. But yeah, it's state by state law. Mm -hmm. So in, in that state, that's the law. Therefore, I would say she's correct. Otherwise, the other law wouldn't make any sense. Yeah, exactly. It'd be super hypocritical. I think the same thing. Uh, I saw a parenting hack for older kids. The last one to get out of bed decides what you do for the day. And that's a great way for parents to have a sleep in and some coffee. What's your favorite parenting hack? You so, you're talking about the children, not the parents, right? Yeah. So, okay. So you tell your kids that the last one out of bed gets to decide what the family does that day. So then the kids don't want to get out of bed and they're kind of playing in the room or waiting and the parents get to have a slow wake up, have a coffee, have a nice start to the day. So I'm picturing like, I don't know, five and seven year olds instead of waking up at 6 a.m., maybe they're pushing it to 8, 830. I used to wake up at like 2 p.m. when I was a kid. As a teenager, not as a kid. I'm just saying this, this could extend that habit. It's rewarding people. Jake used to do that too, my brother. He used yeah. to wake up at like one. I could not believe it. My sleep in was 11 and that was a massive sleep in for me. Yeah, of course. I'd, I Sometimes I go till 4 p.m. No. Yeah, I'd be watching. I would drink six Cokes at night, real Coke too, <laughs> not diet. Watching Conan. I'd watch the show after Conan, like Craig Kilborn and all of them. I loved it. I love nighttime. I used to say nighttime is the right time. <laughs> See, I used to watch nighttime TV, but it wasn't ever like that late. Like I wasn't going till three, but there was, what did Much Music have? They had a show late at night at like maybe 11 o'clock or 12 o'clock at night on Fridays and Saturdays for sure. What what kind of show was it? Did Was it like, because the punk show was after it. Maybe it was like an alternative music show where they like played like cool like indie bands and stuff like that. And then after that was the like punk the wedge, show. And then, yeah. The Wedge. Mm -hmm. The Wedge. Is that what that was, right? Could have been. The way you reacted implied that I might be yes. right. <laughs> yeah, I liked The Wedge. So I'd watch that. Then there would always be great movies on IFC. So like living at home as like a teenager, my brother and I would watch like an IFC movie. Then if I had the gals over and we were having a sleepover, we'd throw on that Latin lover at 1 a.m. and just like giggle. Back to the children. <laughs> Do you think it's a good idea or not? I think it could be only up to a certain age. 
Mm. Because then it's just going to get taken advantage of. I and mean, you're not going to do anything that day. Do you think Lucy would take to this, our oldest? She might. If you pump her up for something, she is down. Like, she will, I feel, you know, get, on, Betty, get on board. Betty, who's only two, doesn't give a ass. No. So, we no, we'd have to wait. There's, like, definitely a sweet age pocket. But, Shane, this listener wants to know if you have any parenting hacks, if we have any parenting hacks. Because that's one. Just in general. Just ask for the debit machine. Skip the bill. That's it. That's the number one hack out there. Skip the waiting for the check if you're at a restaurant. Say, give me the debit machine. Look them straight in the eye and they'll know to bring that debit machine. So like if a waitress came up to you and said, all right, can I get you guys anything else for Just dessert? Just the debit machine, please. Oh, okay, We don't need sir. the bill. <laughs> it's that tone. <laughs> I know you're joking. I don't use that tone in real life. I know. That's what I said. I know you're joking. Oh. Um... Okay, I was trying to compile parenting hacks that I know, I not that I use them, but then I was scouring the internet and I put together a little list of, I think, the most practical ones that I found. Oh, wait, I counted sheep to Lucy the other night, which largely I thought was a myth that if you count sheep, you'll fall asleep. I guess normally you're supposed to count sheep yourself, but Lucy fell asleep when I counted sheep for her. I only got to 20 sheep and she fell out, like yeah. fell asleep. And then tonight I gave her a warm cup of milk before bed and with a little bit of honey in it because she's got a cough. Mm -hmm. Knocked right out. There you go. It was like I put melatonin in there, which I did not. But tape over uh, bath Their toys. Mouths. Oh. Or sorry, hot glue gun the bath toys yeah. so that they don't get moldy. The next tip, uh, put tape over loud toys with speakers because mm -hmm. then it muffles it completely. Next, and I do do this with Lucy. This is why this is on the list. Not all the time, but like if Shane and I need to get some TikToks done or I just need like a really, you know, quick 40-minute power nap during the day and Betty's sleeping and Lucy's not, I will put on Super Mario gameplay on YouTube and then I give her one of our PlayStation remote controls or controllers. So then she feels like she's playing along and she'll be like pressing the buttons and she thinks she's playing along and it keeps her so focused and so busy. And it's probably the worst thing I could do for her developing brain, but it does get me some quiet time. Yeah, brain shmane. <laughs> um, oh, the next thing. Okay, so two things that I saw on the internet that I thought were really great. So if they're, if you need a cold pack for a kid, sometimes they get too cold. Like Betty fell and bumped her head the other day, so I gave her some ice, but it was like just, it would get way too cold. It was uncomfortable. Frozen marshmallows. Put a bag of marshmallows in your freezer. They're soft. They don't get too cold. You've never done that before. No, I, I found this online. And I'm saying, I thought this was a great hack. And the second thing I found online, last thing I want to say, since, you know, like we're getting up into a new school year and a lot of our listeners have kids our age that might be starting JK, get a t-shirt, like a, a large or extra large t-shirt with your kids graduating year on it. And this is like so cheesy, but I love it. And then take a picture of them starting in JK every year in that extra large t-shirt saying the year they're going to graduate. And then they grow into the t-shirt. And then it's finally the year that it says on the shirt and it's fitting them like a, like a big kid. That life, made me cry when I heard it. Life hacked. <laughs> Isn't that cute though? <laughs> I guess the way you're crying, it must be. <laughs> okay. Next question. Could you ever imagine planning to have a child with someone you weren't with? Obviously, I'm referring to the news about Khloe Kardashian and Tristan Thompson having a baby with him via surrogate. 
So it's a nuts story. Like, do you know the ins and outs of it? I think when you're very wealthy, normal rules don't apply. Her yeah. sister did that to some extent with Scott Disick, Courtney. I think she just wanted to keep all of her children to have the same oh. genetic code or whatever, DNA. So she continued to have kids with him, even though they weren't together. See, I don't know any of that because I wasn't watching the Kardashians back then. So they, yeah. they'd been broken up for a long time then. Yeah. Oh, okay. Like they had kind of an odd relationship. I could be getting this totally off if there's any Kardashian heads out there. But I think there is an impulse if you've already had children or multiple children with one partner to just, if you want another child, mm-hmm. might as well have them all be the same brother, sister, full yeah. blood siblings. Yeah, no, it's interesting. Well, okay, so the thing with Tristan and Chloe, in November, they conceived a baby via surrogate. In November of 2021. In December of 2021, the whole thing with Tristan having the baby came out a month after they conceived their child. That is so Yeah, he hard. was just walking around Greece, I saw today with another woman. I saw that. I saw that too. This man is like living a crazy life. Like he's going to have so many, he's going to have more kids than Nick Cannon. Who's got so many kids. Yeah. Nick Cannon has like three babies that are going to be born by the end of this year. He seems happy though. Do we know that? No, he doesn't. We had, oh my gosh, what are the names? Kayla and somebody else. Those sisters. I have to call my sister podcast. They were on our podcast. We had them as guests. And they had gone, what was the show they were on? Not American Idol. America's Got Talent. Yeah. And Nick Cannon was hosting. And they said he was a miserable asshole. They just said he was rude to them. Well, I'm taking it a step further and saying miserable asshole. Oh, you think it was because of the children? I, maybe at that point he didn't have enough children yet. Maybe, maybe he's happier so now. Maybe that's what's made him happy, yeah. I don't know. It's Life is weird. Having a lot of money is weird. It, it changes it you. It, it's hard to judge people with absurd amounts of money in the same way we live. Because I do think there's different challenges, but less challenges in certain ways. So living the way Chloe's doing it right now, it's probably less challenging than you think. Nannies and stuff. Well, not even the nannies. I just mean the, the surrogacy and with Tristan. It's getting a new man is probably like a whole f- media storm for her. And it's just she's like, OK, at least I've already had kids with this guy that maybe I'm not liking too much right now. But it's simple. And all I want is the kid. And it's not about necessarily the relationship with Tristan. It's about the relationship that my children have with each other. And I feel for whatever reason that it's going to be better if they're the full blood siblings. Mm-hmm. No, I, I think that's, I think that's perfect. And the final question that- uh, <laughs> That's perfect. <laughs> no, I think, I think, <laughs> sorry. I think that you articulated that perfectly. And I think that's a really good take. Oh, it's thank what I you, meant Alex. to say. <laughs> okay, so it's a, it's a new person writing a question, so I'm going to answer this. Although although we have before, I can do it quick. Have you guys thought about or talked about a third child? Yes, we have. We don't want one. If we have one, it is like a horrible accident. But the final question that we will address, it, we were easy ball here. Favorite shampoo? You got one. That's not that easy ball. You set it up like it was, the balls are going to be way easier. What's your answer? That's not easy ball. Well, right now we're using Art Naturals. Uh, they sent us some shampoo. I do like that, yeah. I love it. They had this one. So they sent us like three different kinds, a tea tree, purple shampoo, and a rice water shampoo with biotin. 
The rice water one is incredible. So our naturals, rice water shampoo, and then you got to get some Olaplex in there if you have blonde hair or dyed hair, and then you're on easy street. Yeah. <laughs> That's all I got. Sorry, I was trying to think if there's even a second place shampoo. That's all the one I can name at the no. moment. I go through phases. I go through shampoo. I hate the way my phases. hair looks after I wash it, usually, anyway. All right. Thank you, everyone, for listening to this, <laughs> this Family, Family Tree, Tree Podcast. Podcast, episode 137.